Well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you this morning. So thankful for the ministry of our ruling elders this summer as they have stepped in to helping leading the liturgy. Uh, it's not an easy task to get up here and to do that. And so take time to, to thank the elders that have done that, uh, Mr. Ben Mumaw and uh, the others who have helped throughout this summer. Um, we are continuing our study this morning of the topic of discipleship. As we take time to see what the Word of God teaches us about the fight of discipleship, the fight of discipleship, or what sometimes is called spiritual warfare. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 38 this morning, and I would invite you to turn in your Bibles now to that portion of God's Word. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it can be found on page 882. Now, what do we mean when we talk about discipleship? Discipleship. We use that term rather often in the church. We even have a pastor of discipleship, Pastor Mike Palumbo. But what exactly do we mean when we say discipleship? Well, the word disciple is closely associated with the concept of learning. A disciple is like an apprentice who is learning a craft. From a master, and therefore a disciple of Jesus means someone who is seeking to learn the way of Jesus. They're seeking to learn his word. They are seeking to learn his way of life. Now, of course, this learning is never a mere academic pursuit. The learner of Jesus is devoted to living as Jesus lived, to following the path of his life. A disciple is seeking to have his life in all of its facets transformed through learning the way of Christ. This is the core desire of a true disciple, to be more like Jesus. Our discipleship series is aimed at encouraging each of you in this path of lifelong Christ learning. Last week we focused our attention on the cost of discipleship. The truth that to be a learner of Jesus, you must surrender all to Him. You cannot be a halfway disciple. And today we move to the fight of discipleship. The fight to learn and follow the ways of Christ. Now it's easy for us to forget that following Christ is not merely a neutral decision. The reality is that those who choose this path of discipleship will find many hindrances along the way. There are many forces that do not want to see you following Christ. And so you must fight. Paul tells his young disciple, Timothy, I charge you and entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Or as Paul says at the end of his own life of following Christ, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In our passage for this morning, we come to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus has just instituted the Lord's Supper 
but he has not yet made his way to the Mount of Olives where he will pray and then be captured and taken and tried and crucified. It's Thursday evening. They've had supper. And by Friday evening, Jesus will have been killed. In Luke 22, the momentum is growing and building towards the cross. Jesus knows that it will not be now long. So he takes his disciple Peter aside and he warns him of the battle that is about to ensue. He warns him that there will be enemies who will seek to destroy him. But through the victory of the cross, every true believer will win the fight of discipleship. So hear now the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 38. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. Almighty God, Your word tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. And so as we come to You now this morning to hear of this topic and to learn of the fight of discipleship, We take up the sword of the Spirit by which we might do battle, that we might learn of Your Word and of Your truth how we might fight the good fight. We confess that we want peace, even though there is no peace. We want to be relaxed, even though Your Word calls us to be aware. We want Our decision to follow Christ to be one that is neutral and is encouraged by this world. Oh God, let us not be lulled into a false sense of security. But let us trust in the work of Christ and wage the good warfare. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. In our passage for this morning, what I want to do is I want to show you from this passage the three enemies that come against those who would seek to follow after Christ and three ways that are highlighted in this passage that we fight 
these enemies. Now, the first enemy that we must fight in discipleship, if we would be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, is our ancient enemy, Satan himself. Look again at verse 31 of your text. There, Jesus says to Peter, he calls him by his given name, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, who is this enemy? Well, Satan is a spiritual being who is opposed to the purposes of God. He manifested himself as a serpent in the garden to deceive our first parents. And since the entrance of sin into this world, he has worked to establish brokenness, sin and death. Jesus teaches us that he is a liar and a murderer. He is described as the prince of the power of the air, the evil one, and the adversary of God's people. He is an accuser. Satan, or the devil, is the head of the demonic powers, and he aims to destroy those who would seek to learn and follow the way of Christ. Those who would be a true disciple of Jesus must fight a spiritual battle against Satan and his demonic powers. For we read in the word of God, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. In the book of Ephesians, we read, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, whether you are aware of it or not. This is the reality of those who would be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. There is a spiritual battle being waged. Jesus tells Peter, he pulls back the veil, if you will, and he says, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. We learn a few important truths from these words about our enemy. First, we learn that while Satan is a powerful spiritual being, he still must ask permission to act. God and Satan are not equals in this battle. It's not as though there's a force of good and a force of evil that are struggling for dominance over this world. God is sovereign over all of his creation and Satan is a dog on a chain. And he can only go as far as God gives him permission to go. We see this truth clearly in the book of Job, in which Satan must continually ask the Lord's permission to afflict Job, and he must obey the limits which God sets. We have a powerful spiritual enemy, but we have an even more powerful God who governs him. And therefore we see... That Satan, it says, demanded to have you. Other translations of that is that he has asked. He must go to the Lord God Almighty and ask permission to sift Peter like wheat. Second, 
we see that Satan's desire is to cause disciples of Christ to see their own weaknesses and in doing so to make them despair of following after Christ. He says that he wants to sift Peter. Now, what is this image that is being brought to mind? Well, to sift means to separate the kernel from the chaff, right? So when you have popcorn, the chaff is that little teeny piece that gets stuck in your teeth, right? That piece that you just don't want. You want the kernel. You want the true thing. And what Satan is saying is that I want to shake Peter and to show that he is nothing but that useless piece of chaff. He is not a real disciple. He is not true. He is not genuine. I'm going to bring persecution and hardship against him. And when it happens, he is going to show that he's not truly your disciple. Let me sift him and I'll show you that he is not truly a disciple of Christ. Accusation is how Satan seeks to destroy God's people. By using temptations and hardships to undermine your faith in Christ. He wants to accuse you of being a false disciple. And I know that you feel that weakness even in yourself. And when hardship and struggle comes into your life, you begin to ask yourself, Man, am I real? Am I true? Am I a colonel? Or am I just chaff? And that is spiritual Warfare. Be aware of this, Christian. For the enemy of our souls does not play fair. He doesn't wait until you are at a spiritual high and then come to bring this accusation. Rather, he prowls around until you are vulnerable and then he attacks. Take note, if you are a new Christian, if you have just begun this walk, Satan will seek to attack your faith. If you are in a time of transition, if you've recently moved, if you've just gotten married, if you've just begun to have a family raising children, when you go off to college, when you are vulnerable in these times of transition, Satan seeks to come in and to sift you and to say, you see, all of those outward things that you used to have that are no longer there, that's what made you a Christian. But you aren't truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. He will sift you. If you're in a time of hardship, someone close to you has died, or you become sick, or injured, or you lose your job, the enemy will seek to take advantage of you. And so you must fight. You can't just sit back and allow the enemy to run roughshod over you and your family. When you come to these times of vulnerability in your life, that is when we must do battle. So how do we do that? How do we fight this enemy? Well, look at what Jesus says in verse 32. This is so encouraging. Jesus says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus has prayed for Peter. Not that he would not be sifted. I think that's important. He didn't pray that Peter wouldn't be sifted. 
but rather that his faith would prove true through the sifting. That as he goes through the fire, that he will be refined. The Word of God teaches us that Jesus has prayed not only for Peter, but for all of his true disciples. In John 17, we read Jesus' prayer, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, right? I don't ask that you don't allow them to be sifted, but that you keep them from the evil one. In the book of Hebrews, we learn of Jesus that He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession. That is to pray for them. And this is how you fight the spiritual battle against Satan. You draw near to God in prayer. Knowing that Christ has and is praying for you. There is nothing in our physical resources that will give us strength to overcome the attack of the enemy. And therefore, we must flee to our Savior. We must call out to Him for protection and deliverance and strength. You see, to follow Jesus will mean war. But not war against flesh and blood. Not war against nations and politicians. Not war against family and neighbors, but war against the spiritual forces of darkness. So take up the call to battle and begin to join your Savior in prayer. Pray for your soul. Pray for your family. Pray for your church. For we will only prevail in this spiritual battle through prayer. Why do we pray each Sunday evening at 4 o'clock as a church? Why do we fast and pray on the first Tuesday of each month? Why do we gather for prayer Sunday morning before the service? Why do we pray throughout this worship service? Because to be a disciple is to be in a battle and the way that we fight this battle is prayer. Now, Satan is not our only enemy in this fight. The second thing that we see in our text is that every true disciple must not only fight against Satan, but we must also fight the temptations and the weakness of our own flesh. Look down at verses 33 through 34. Jesus said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, Peter's response to Jesus' warning is that he, through his own power and commitment, will suffer and die for Jesus. Now, If you read ahead, however, you learn that Jesus' words, of course, are accurate. Peter will give in to the weakness of the flesh. And what this conversation reveals is that within every true disciple of Jesus, there is a battle that is waging between the spirit and the flesh. This is the second enemy that we must fight, our own broken flesh. Listen listen to how the Word of God describes this battle. In the book of Mark, Jesus says, Watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
In Romans 7, the Apostle Paul speaks of his own struggle with his sin. And he says, I see in my members, right? And I see in my body, I see in my flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, in my body. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And in Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. When we receive new life from Jesus Christ, the Word of God teaches us that we are freed from the guilt of sin through His shed blood. However, we must continue to battle the temptation to sin. There remains within every true disciple of Jesus Christ a continuing desire and propensity towards transgression. And we must fight it. For even we who have been walking with Christ many years carry with us the remnants of the fall. And if Peter, who was called the rock, had temptations to sin, we too must understand that we have to battle or we will fall into all manner of sin. So how do we fight the battle of the flesh? Well, of course, we fight it with prayer. We fight it with the Word of God. But in particular, I want you to see how Jesus encourages us to fight this battle Look back at the end of verse 32. Jesus says to Peter, And when you have turned again, right? You're you're going to fall, but you're going to repent. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knows that Peter will fail. He knows that Peter will repent. And therefore, He says to him, Strengthen your brothers. Peter is not the only one who will deny Christ. All will succumb to the temptation of the flesh. They will fear death and they will run from their Savior. However, Peter is called to strengthen them. He is called to bring his brothers back. And this is how we fight the temptation of the flesh. Through the testimony, encouragement, and fellowship of God's people. In a culture that is private and individualistic as ours, it is vital for us to understand the importance of brothers and sisters in Christ knowing you and your struggles. For you cannot fight these battles alone. You need God's people to hold you accountable, to encourage you when you struggle, and in love to confront you when you give in. At one of those times of transition in my life, when my wife April and I were first married, we began to have those normal struggles of newlyweds, right? We found ourselves fighting over the silliest of issues, where the towel will go after it's been used, and how to load a dishwasher, and who's going to cook dinner, and all those little silly things that you begin to fight over when you first get married. And so we sought some counsel from some older, mature Christians. I think that they were like 24 years old, (laughs) and they were years ahead of us, three of them. But it was so good to have my brother in the Lord tell me that our struggles were normal, And that He would pray for us. That we would mature towards greater Christ-likeness in the way that we treated one another. I needed to hear Him say, Brother, you're acting selfishly. And a true Christian husband seeks to love his wife like Christ loved the church. 
You see, the way that we fight this spiritual battle is by bringing our sin to the light. By exposing it to the truth. We need to be in relationship with one another. When you give in to the temptations of the flesh, do you do that out in front of everybody? Or do you go into the secret place, into the darkness, and do you hide it? Right? Do you go into private browsing mode? Or do you go into public browsing mode when you are giving in to the temptations of the flesh? You need to be known. You need brothers and sisters in Christ strengthening you in this battle. We were never meant to fight this battle by ourselves, but shoulder to shoulder with fellow Christians. A few weeks ago, Pastor Mike Palumbo mentioned the small group that meets to encourage men towards sexual purity. If you are struggling in this area, you need to email Mike and join this group and bring it to light. If you're struggling with alcohol or love of money or other sins of the flesh, you need your fellow warriors in Christ to stand with you in fight. You see, we need to take the initiative to get to know other Christians, to join a small group, To get involved with the women's ministry or the men's ministry. Not just attend. Okay? Not just attend, but to get involved and to get known so that you can share your life and your struggles. Because this is how we fight the good fight. Shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters in the Lord. The fight of discipleship is against Satan. The fight is a fight against the flesh. And the third thing that we see in our text is that the fight of discipleship is a fight against the love of the world. Look down at verses 35 through 37. Jesus now switches from speaking specifically to Peter and he begins to speak to his disciples as a group. It says, and he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what was written about me has its fulfillment. What is Jesus saying in these verses? What he is saying is, is that times have now changed. There was a time when you could go into the world and expect that your ministry would be supported and accepted by the community. Remember last week there were large crowds following Jesus. Jesus was very popular. Now it has been narrowed down to just these disciples that are with Jesus. And then ultimately they will abandon him when he goes to the cross. Right? There was a time when there was a large acceptance by the broader world of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But now Jesus must be numbered with the transgressors. And the world is no longer a friend to Christ are those who would seek to be His disciple. Listen to the way the Word of God explains this battle. In James chapter 4 we read, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In 1 John we read, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And in Romans 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. To be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a learner of Christ, we must fight our love of the world. What do we mean by the world? That seems like a a pretty big category, right? To be a disciple, you have to fight the world. Well, the world is the present age. The age that is dominated by sin and death and is ruled by Satan. The world consists of the broader culture, structures of government, educational systems, man-made philosophies, financial dealings, the arts, the traditions, and everything else that makes up the ways of men in this world. Now, we need to pause here for a second. It's important for us to have a discerning spirit, for there is much in this world that is beautiful and reflective of God's goodness and grace. There is much beauty in the arts and in culture. Government can and has been used for good in the advancement of the general welfare. Educational systems can bring truth and lift many out of darkness. However, this is what is important, and this is why we cannot fall in love with the world, because there is no aspect of our world that has not been touched and tainted by sin. There is no refuge to be found there. There is no refuge or salvation to be found in government or in education or in philosophy or in the arts. There is no salvation there. For a time, the world may outwardly accept those who follow Christ and outwardly accept His ways and His beauty, but in the end, a disciple must not conform or trust in the world, but we must trust in Jesus Christ alone. So how do we fight the world? Well, first we see that it's not by way of sword. And this might be confusing. You might read this text and say, wait a second. Jesus says, buy a sword. When the disciples hear Jesus saying that they need to sell their cloak and buy a sword, they take it literally. But Jesus had no intention that they would use a sword to fight their love of the world. We see this in verse 38. It says, and they said, look, Lord, here are two swords, right? We got swords. We need swords. Here's two. And he said to them, it is enough. It's important that we understand that Jesus isn't saying two swords is plenty to fight the temptations of the world. That's enough. Yeah, two. Two is great. Two swords is enough to fight the battle against this world. What he is saying is that he has had enough of this way of thinking. Not, that's plenty, let's get the job done, but you've missed the point. Let's move on. So then how do we fight the world? Well, Jesus tells us we fight it through self-sacrificing love. He quotes Isaiah 53 to make his point. Again, he says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. 
Isaiah 53 is one of the clearest prophecies of Jesus' sacrificial love. Hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, the Lord spoke through Isaiah about the ministry of Christ. We read, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chestnut that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is how we fight the world. We place our full faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. For it's not in conquering the world with a sword that Jesus won the battle, but rather by submitting Himself to death on a cross. For He was pierced and crushed and wounded and killed so that all who place their faith in Him might be freed from the enemy of Satan and sin and death. This is how the world is defeated. This is how Satan is defeated. This is how sin is defeated. Not by taking up a sword and cutting off the ear of those who had come to take Jesus, but rather by submitting to those people and giving your life in sacrificial love. That is how Jesus won the ultimate battle. And that is how you will win this battle, Christian. So often I see in Christians a fervor to join together, to join their forces, to get two swords out and say, we're going to win the world for Christ. But it has nothing that is reflective of the submission and the humility of offering your life in love. Laying yourself down, knowing that the way that we will conquer this world, the way that we will see our nation brought to the Lord Jesus Christ isn't through force of arms, but is by Christians, true followers of Jesus Christ, sacrificing themselves in love, following the way of Christ. That is how we do spiritual battle in this world. Not by taking up the sword, but by loving the way that Christ loved. And the only way that we can do that is by faith, through faith in Christ and what Christ has done, knowing that all who place their faith in Jesus Christ because of His shed blood are sealed unto eternity. And we can fight this good fight. Even as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. To be a disciple of Jesus means to learn His ways and to seek to follow Him. It means to fight the fight of faith. So fight with prayer. Fight shoulder to shoulder with your brothers in Christ and trust in the power of of the cross alone. For our fight is not to preserve our lives, but rather we fight to offer our lives in sacrifice of love. I'll end by reading to you these words from the book of Revelation when this fight is over. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation 
and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Fight this fight knowing that through the blood of the Lamb all of Christ's people will triumph. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now as warriors, not battling with swords, but with the sword of the Spirit, not seeking to conquer, but seeking to be conquered, not seeking to shed blood, but seeking to follow our Savior Jesus Christ who shed His blood on our behalf. Oh, would you give to us such faith in Christ that we might be freed from the guilt of sin and that we might be freed from the temptation to sin. Oh, would you transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. We pray, O God, that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ would go forth from this place and that all those who are here this day might join in the song of triumph when our Savior comes again. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.